You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. And finally, our third sponsor is 988. The Oklahoma 988 Mental Health Lifeline, 988 is a direct three-digit lifeline that connects you with trained behavioral health professionals that can get all Oklahomans the help that they need. Learn more by visiting 988oklahoma.com. That's 988oklahoma.com. And now, let's get into today's episode. All right, cool. Well, let's have some fun, get into it. I know we got a little bit of time before we do the uh, thing tonight with the Second Century Board, which I'm super excited for, um, and I know everyone else is as well. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, for people listening, please welcome to the podcast, Chief Gary Ban. Thanks so much for coming up. Well, thank you, Mike, and Halito, or greetings from the, the Choctaw Nation, yeah. from my, my native language. I'm excited to dive into your history, talk a little bit about you. I think the goal of the podcast is to share all of the, you know, the things that make you tick, all the intricate details, the stuff that that people can't find out if they just read your bio. Well, we're going to dive into a little bit uh, of, your, of your passion. Obviously, before we started recording, we talked a little bit about cars. You share the same passion for me. We love cars. And, and I grew up, you know, in the UK, right? So muscle, you know, muscle cars for me was not like we... I didn't see him ever, you know, and when I first came here, you'd hear a V8 and you're like, what was that? And it was just a truck. <laughs> you're like, no, I, I wish that was some classic Mustang. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I have been down, like I said, I played golf down at Chickasaw Point, which is down in Durant and had some good times down there. Uh, I think I tried to hit a golf ball across the bridge when there was no traffic coming, which <laughs> my coach did not enjoy watching me do that as a liability, but uh, had some good times down there. And, and obviously people listening are very aware of, of the Choctaw Nation and obviously you as well of the great job you've been doing. But before we dive into, I guess, you know, what you do now is your role. Tell us a little bit about kind of you, where you grew up and, and you know, what, what was like your dream as a kid? I mean, what did you want to do? Sure. I always say I have to just start back for um, even before myself. So meaning that uh, my grandfather and grandmother were, were both uh, on my mom's side, were both full blood Choctaws. And so uh, we grew up. And my dad was from West Virginia, was in the military. They met out at Fort Sill out in uh, Lawton. And um, of course, I'm one of four children, my sister being the oldest and me being the uh, youngest one so I get to be the baby of the family and they remind me of that all the time and and uh, but but um, I was born believe it or not in Wichita Kansas he was my dad had gotten out of the military and was in um Worked for Boeing. We lived there at Boeing. We moved back and forth between there and where uh, I'm not for sure if, if the listeners are aware of what's called original allotment of land. So my uh, grandmother and grandfather both years ago, whenever we came across the, the Trail of Tears, uh, 
and you know all of this area was Indian territory before it became Oklahoma. And uh, a matter of fact, Mike, do you speak Choctaw? Sadly, I do not. No. Yes, you do. You, you, you <laughs> I see do. Oklahoma. I see Oklahoma. I did exactly. see that. Yes. So, I know what that means. And yeah. so I always tease and, and joke about that. But whenever there was a period of time where, uh, as tribal members, I always say you have to be careful what you ask for. So we asked for that we have our own land. Well, each tribal member back in those days got 160 acres each. So my wow. grandmother's original allotment of land, her 160 acres, was down close to Clayton, Oklahoma. I still live in Clayton, Oklahoma. and uh, But that's where her land was. And so uh, if you can imagine, there was my grandfather's house, my cousin's house, our house, my uncle, my aunts, my other uncle, my other aunt, there was 20 of us that would get on the bus whenever the bus would stop by. So we grew up as a very close-knit family. And and uh, even though we would move off, even one time my father worked working for Boeing, He uh, we actually moved to Seattle, Washington for a period of time. And yeah. uh, But then we came back and then they would have a layoff. Then we would move back to what I call home here to Oklahoma at, at Clayton. And so everything uh, was wonderful, great, uh, meaning that we grew up in a small little church where all of my family and all of the, uh, uh, I don't know that I would call it the traditional Indian church, if you will, but probably 90% of the people went there was my family, so I would say it was an Indian church. Um, But everything was great until probably about the time that I was um, 12, my mom and dad divorced. Uh, My mom, we were living in Wichita, Kansas at that time. Believe it or not, my older brother and sister, they had already graduated. They had kind of moved on. And then it left Joe and myself. He was um, uh, 16 at the time. I was 12. We moved back to Clayton with my dad, which is the non-Indian, which moves back into this Indian village, if you will, of where I I grew up. And of course, my my dad thought the world and all of my my grandfather. And um, there's little stories that I think of that really kind of shape my my life and, and one of them that I have to tell real quickly is about my my dad which was um, you know of course he was European and uh, he was down in the field and uh, he got the pickup stuck and, and my grandfather was with him and my dad tells this story of course my dad's passed now but back then he did and so he would you know, just shove the pickup up into reverse, spin backwards, shove it and drive, spin forward, all those things. And finally, he just got out, slammed the door, and he said, well, I'm going up to the house, which is probably maybe a mile away. Yeah. He said, I'm going to go get the tractor, come back to pull it out. Well, when he came back, my grandfather had gotten the pickup unstuck. He had stuck some limbs underneath the tires, and it just rode out and my dad was like what in the world did you not tell me that you could get this pickup unstuck my grand my grandpa said you never asked and my grandfather was the full blood Choctaw never said very few words but was so wise that I just loved and and cherished him but but going back to to the time when we so we moved back down there and then my dad was working at a uh, for the Clayton law enforcement and he ended up having a wreck that paralyzed him from the chest down 
And so he was in the hospital. My mother was still struggling with the divorce in Wichita, Kansas, which left kind of Joe, which was 18 at that time. And then I was 14 at that time to kind of live by ourselves. And he ended up committing suicide. And so I don't tell that story. You know, it's a it's a very emotional story to me. But I tell that story because it's what shaped my life. And the reason why I say that, because from that point on, for about six months when I was 14, I lived by myself. And so if it wouldn't have been for my family, uh, you know, and then uh, later on, I met my wife. I was 15. She was 16. We're still married today. Been married 35 years. But she always says that really we've been together uh, 40 years because we dated five years before we got uh, married. But and then when I was a a senior and, and so after living by myself for a period of time without food without I did have running water because it was on a well but it was cold water and all those things and so I feel like I can relate I have a whole lot of empathy for people that goes through because you know a lot of times people think well why did they put themselves in those situations a lot of times you get put in situations that you don't understand why and you don't know why they happen and so that part and then all of the people that helped me I had cousins that let me live with them I had a family by the name of the Holtz that that took me and let me live with them for a period of time my wife's family even though I was not married to her at that time let me move in with them when I was a a junior and thank uh, God that by the time I was a senior and I go back to people helping me. Uh, D. King owned a grocery store. And, I, of course, you know, you don't think about those things at the time. He's, he was a Choctaw. Uh, he allowed me to work in his store in the mornings. I'd go to school, work after school, and I was able to get my own apartment and live by myself and, and do all those things. And then when I was a senior in high school, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. My old pastor from when I was a kid showed up at the parking lot, and he said, uh, I said, what are you doing here, Brother Bob? I hadn't seen you since I was like 10 years old. And he said, I'm here to check on your spiritual life. Your father had called me. My dad was in the hospital in Memphis, Tennessee at the time. And so I remember remember that very clearly and and my point with all of that story though is if you really want to know what drives and makes me tick it's because of that that those years of I can remember uh, she wasn't my mother-in-law at the time but I remember going up to her is the second time you know you have to realize I grew up in a family Choctaws are very stoic you know, we don't really say a whole lot. I'm probably the, the abnormal part of that. That's the opposite of who <laughs> yes. you are, right? And, yeah. and um, but, but a part of that is because I felt like I had to grow into yeah. part of that. And, and so, but the second time that I met her, I went and picked up Angie, my wife, for uh, a date was she gave me a hug. And I remember just going, you know, what is this lady doing to me? I remember almost leaning back because I just didn't feel comfortable Uh because we didn't do those things. But they helped shape my, my in-laws helped shape my life a lot too because they were the loving, caring, loud, boisterous, you know, just talk and have a good time and just express their emotions and tell whatever's on their sleeve, they just tell it. Not us. You know, we just sat back and whatever kind of came your way, you just dealt with it in your own way and moved on. And, And so all of those things, I feel like, helped me be... The, the leader that I am today, which is I'd like to think that I'm very caring, empathetic. I can fit in their shoes. Mm-hmm. 
you're never better than anybody else. Uh, part of, people ask me why do I still live in Clayton, Oklahoma? It's very rural, it's very, and it's because I'm Gary there. It's it's a uh, yes, I can say I'm the chief. I'm the 47th chief of the Choctaw Nation. You know, we have 12,000 employees, all those things. But at the end of the day, when I go back home, I get to be that person that's just a good friend, uh-huh. a good neighbor, and so all of those things I think hopefully keep me grounded from being humble to um, and, and being that empathy and, and going back I'm, I know this is probably uh, for me it means a lot but there's it, I think about when they asked Jesus you know they said what's out of the ten commandments what are the two greatest and he said that there shall be no other God before me and you shall love thy neighbor as thyself well that's what you're supposed to do and if you can make it that simple that's that's what drives and motivates me I always knew that ever since the people that helped me I always wanted to help people I just did not know that I would be have such a blessing to become a chief and to be in this role and to have all the things that's happened to me um to be where I am today. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. And, and obviously, you know, there's no doubt the why you can relate to people because of the experiences you had as a young guy. And, but also the age that you're at when all of this is going on is such a pivotal age in, in a young man's life, right? Like if I think of myself and people listening and like, you know, if we were 14 years old and that happened and you got to live on your own, like the odds of most of us surviving in today's world, like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible to, to go through that, but also to go through that. And, you know, cause when, when people are in those situations, you know, like you said earlier, the it's, you always think, well, how did you be, how'd you, you know, how'd you end up in that situation? Mm-hmm. Right. But it kind of downward spirals because you're in that, in that position, you're, you're in a place of, you know, it, it's a weak place to be, right? You know, you have a lot of self-doubt and you make decisions based on short-term gains. You don't make decisions on, oh, in 10 years, I'm going to be this. You know, you scrap and fight for everything you need because you're living day to day. Yes. Right? But, but, you know, Mike, I think that the part that, and that's where I consider that I'm uh, just blessed or the good right. Lord was looking after me because I remember during that time, and that's the reason why I believe in this word empowerment, I remember thinking, you know, well, this is Horrible. I mean, I remember, uh, probably depressed, I don't know, but I was just thinking, you know, th- this just sucks. This situation that I'm in, you know, I am hungry, you know, it's just, why did this happen? And I remember in my mind, though, one day saying, you know, the only person that can change this is me. Yeah. If I want something, I'm going to have to get off my butt. I'm going to have to get up. I'm going to have to do something. I can't sit here and be pitiful and have self-pity and all those types of things because it gets you nowhere. And so I knew that I had to think a little bit longer term because I knew that I wanted a job. I knew I wanted to go to college at that time. And so you have to start thinking. Uh, I had a, a Choctaw, full-blood Choctaw, tell me one time, he said, you know, when you're down and out, the main thing is to look up. Yeah. And and if it's amazing if you will look up. You start seeing that because in, when you're down, you just you see the just horrible mess that you're in. But if you do look up, as soon as you look up, I, I mean, like now I see grass, I see the sun shining. You start noticing all these things and you start understand there's a whole world out there that's beyond you. And yeah. I, I know it's uh, crazy, but my dad used to <laughs> tell me whenever I was younger, he said, you know, um, you um, 
revolve around the world. The world doesn't revolve around you. And so anyway, it's just some of those little simple things like that that really has, has kind of guided me yeah, yeah. through my life. So. Where does that, when you have that moment, you think, you know, like the only person that can get you through this is you. Like, where does that come from? You know, because you've obviously had people in your life up until that point that shaped that. Where does that come from? Well, I, I truly believe, uh, you know, I tell that story, but I do think it's because I had a solid foundation. You know, my, my mother and father were, were very good people. They were solid. Mm-hmm. You know, did they have their struggles later on? Yes, they did. But when I was younger as a kid, uh, and I believe this and of course you know at the time you don't think about it but I do reflect back on it now but a, when a child is from born to the time they're six years old they say that you develop the majority of your personality and what you will become and I believe that because there was something in me I didn't know what at the time that just told me you know if you want to do this you have to do it I do think it's because of that solid uh, footing that I had that and it's interesting you know it's uh, most people I don't know if you get older and you you realize that but the simple things about my dad saying you know the world doesn't revolve around you and so and again I knew that I had to, to get up I remember him telling about taking responsibility for your own actions and those little simple things like that you know just yeah. when you're sitting there all by yourself all these thoughts and emotions are running through you you have to go those things are that's what comes to your mind it's 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 because you've been taught those that foundation and i I truly believe that's what got me through that so so you going through high school like you already have this this idea that hey i'm gonna go to college what's kind of like your plan at that time you know did you have an idea of what you wanted to be what you wanted to study in college or just thinking i'm gonna go to college i'm gonna i'm I'm living in this area i'm gonna go to southeastern that's gonna be my next challenge. Well, and I would say that, I don't know if this is a good thing to say or not, but and what I mean by that is that the uh, sometimes the things that you don't like motivate you as much as the things that you do like. Yeah. And so I knew that I felt like the education was critical to my success. Everybody that I knew that was successful had an education. And so I did not know what I wanted to be or anything else, did not have a path uh, other than I just knew that I was going to strive for that. I was very fortunate again because of people. I had a great counselor at our little school there, took me to Southeast Oklahoma State University, took me to the campus, showed me around, everything else. You know, and I keep saying people, I think, sometimes take things for granted. You coming from the UK, uh, probably, they was telling me, well, you need to go by the Bursar's office. You need to fill out a Pell Grant. You know, I'm thinking, what is all this stuff, you know? And, of course, as a kid, you think, man, all these things are just, you're the only one that doesn't know what everybody else knows. And so going back to to learning to, and, and that's the reason why I keep saying, I do believe in this a lot. And what I mean by that, if you hear me talk, you probably hear me jump all over the place because everything is interconnected for me. But I remember that, you know, I had to speak up, though. And I used to be that quiet, shy little Choctaw boy. But until you go, I'm sorry, Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Archer, I don't understand what a Pell Grant is. Well, guess what? He starts explaining it to me. Then he starts explaining it to me. I don't know what a bursar is. So it was really, it. it uh, I don't know if it's pride that makes us not want to do that or what, but overcome that pride. I had to. 
to learn to, to be educated, not yeah. just from, you know, a college education, but just from a social education. And so, again, when I knew it was me that had to do it, it was me that had to speak up. And if I don't do it, and, and I firmly believe that now, if I don't speak up for our Choctaw people, Who's going to? I can't sit and wait back for somebody to take the lead. Yes, there is times when I need to shut my mouth, <laughs> let somebody else take the lead. Right. But I'm I'm the leader of the, the Choctaw Nation. I'm supposed to speak up for our people, so I need to do that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, it's funny you say that. Last night we were, in, a couple of us on the board here, the Second Century Board, were on a panel for the teen board last night upstairs. And, and you know, we, there's six of us on the panel, and, you know, uh, Emily did a great job of kind of emceeing it, you know, you got these great high school students, you know, in front of us, and they're all, you know, the next generation of smart Oklahomans. And every time she'd ask for someone to ask the question, like nobody would ask a question. And I'm on the panel thinking, you know, like I'm, I'm 32 years old, like why is nobody asking a question, right? But then I think I, when I was 18 or 16 or 17, like we didn't want to put our hands up and be the only one, right? It's, it's so weird to us. But now, you know, you, you get, you know, you think, well, why didn't I, right? It makes so much sense. But then, you know, you got to put yourself in those shoes of like, is it pride? Is it insecurity? Do I think I'm going to ask a dumb question? You know, and, and, and probably, uh, you know, you, you go back and you think, I should have asked more questions in school. Right? You know, it's probably all of that, yeah. you know, that mm -hmm. makes you do that. That's the reason why I was saying that I felt blessed when from, I would say from the time I was 14 to 18, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I didn't go through the down times. You know, yeah. I drank a lot, a lot of things that, you know, the kids shouldn't do. And, and I was dealing with all of those issues, but yeah. I felt like I went through that at a very young, I was so thankful that I went through it at, 15, 16, rather than 30. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so uh, um, my point being is I felt like I, I was forced mm -hmm. to mature. So probably when I was 18, I remember people always tell me they thought I was in my 30s when I was in. And it was, but I did hang around older people. But a lot of that was to gain knowledge from them. It was to understand. When I was in eighth grade, I ran around with seniors in high school. That was my buddies, you know. And but but it's it's a. I, I do feel like again that that was a blessing to be forced to mature, even though I hated it, fought it, went through all those things of people. I thought people looked down upon me, you know, because I was poor, you know, just you know this poor, inconsiderate little guy, you know, and I just, but, you know, come to find out people were just maybe actually turning and looking, you know, so it wasn't that they were looking down on me. They were just literally turning their head. And, and so, you know, uh, forgiving yourself, forgiving, you know, the, the whole situation. I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever gone through those situations when anytime somebody goes through these, I call them trials and tribulations, you really do a lot of soul searching and finding out who you are and what really drives you and what does motivate you as opposed to when you're younger, it's probably more about what you hate and what you did. I, I wanted to leave Clayton. As soon as I left Clayton, I thought, never going back. I guess where I live today is Clayton. Yeah. You know, so it's all those things. And, and uh, but uh, again, I, I think understanding what my values were as a young person really helped me a lot. Yeah. So when, so like you said, when you, when you accepted, you know, Christ into your life, was that pretty pivotal moment for you then? Oh, it was the, the most pivotal. Yeah. That, that turned me from being that negative, what are you looking at? Why are you even 
focusing on me. I just want to punch everybody in the face to, you know, hey, you know, that life's life's okay. Life's going to be good. It's not going to be perfect, but I'm going to be able to make it through this. Not everybody's horrible. Maybe I've been seeing things in a different light. That's why I said I think forgiveness is a big thing. Forgiveness of myself and forgiveness of people of probably that they didn't even mean intentionally do anything that maybe I took it to heart something that they said that I was never going to turn out to be any good and and so things like that and so it was yeah it turned me from being negative to positive and just looking at um, opportunities uh, in front of me uh, I like I said, going to college, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I started saying, okay, what do I need to do? How do I get there? Who do I need to talk to? Before, it's like, I'm not talking to nobody. I'm not going to do that. If they want me to go to college, they'll come talk to me. You know, I mean, it's just weird how your mindset, yeah. and, you know, but, but, uh, but yeah, it changed me inside and out. Yeah. So you went on to college, you did business management? Is that yes, right? that's correct. Why business? Why did you choose that? Because at the time, I thought... I need to go into the most diverse uh-huh. area at that time. Now, this is 1985. And so, uh, and, and again, I had great people, my uh, advisor at the time. So I knew that even 7-Eleven, you know, any, any yeah. place needed a manager. So I could probably get a job somewhere. But then also at this time was when, um, you know, I was one of the very few people that knew had typing in high school. And so when I was in college, he asked, he said, you need to take computer science. So computer science was my minor. And then uh, accounting was my other minor. And he said that because computers, he says, wave of the future. Uh, um, The way I got my job with the tribe in 1987, my wife and I married in January of 1987. This is my second year of college. Went to work for them in June. And they hired me because the purchasing department needed a person that could run a word processor. I had done uh, ran a word processor in the class. Matter of fact, I was only one of, of uh, the only guy in this entire class. All the rest were females. I hated that class. No, it's the greatest <laughs> class ever. But, but, um, but you yeah. know, so uh, but I so it was that, and so they I was top able to run the word processor, no tin key, and also I delivered supplies. At that time, we had 110 employees within the, the Choctaw Nation as a whole, and so that's how I was able to, to get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that goes on. You, you kind of do that. And and I guess at this point, you kind of, you have a purpose, right? You feel like I'm doing something. I, I'm doing something with my life. I have a purpose. I'm earning money. I'm on my own. Like it's, you know, I guess you're off to the races at that yes. point, right? Well, it, not necessarily, I would say, at that time. Because at that time, I would say, you know, my wife and I newly married. So it was about survival, you know, okay. making sure we had a job. When I graduated college in 89, and then uh, at that time, um I was went to interviews and I wore a suit that day to work and it's like what are you doing wearing a suit today and I was like well I'm going for an interview and they said you're not staying with the tribe and I said well I would love to is there an option and I think it was the next day or two that the the chief actually called me down to his office and he said I would like for you to go oversee our housing authority as the deputy director there was a director and then the deputy director and so I said sure so I went there at that time we had 37 employees and then I felt like I had a purpose the reason why I said I felt like I had a purpose is because people needed housing Mm. and but they 
I, I was very fortunate again because of my background to know just a house does not fix your problems. So you also need social workers. You also need all the supportive services to surround you. Um, I remember going to a Choctaw, full blood Choctaws place one time. He was living in a chicken coop in a chicken coop and so I helped him fill out the application filled it out myself he could barely write got uh, eventually got him a house a 1200 square foot brick home guess what six months later we go out to do an inspection he's living in the chicken coop still in the house he has potatoes where he had gotten out of his garden all in that house and my point being is that that made me even more so realize that just getting a house is not good enough. I should have done a better job of educating, hopefully him understanding what it is to be a homeowner right. and, and all those things. And so, but I felt like I was helping people build about 2,000 homes while I was there. And for people that desperately needed the homes, I grew up in an Indian home as we, we call those. And so it's critical. It, it built communities. Yeah. And, and just like us, where we grew up, there was seven homes that was Choctaw um, Indian homes yeah. that was built by our housing authority. Now, I didn't build those. I was younger. But then to build 2,000 homes and, and to continue that, uh, I just loved it. And I loved the hands-on of going out and getting to know people's personalities, what motivated them, what what why did they want to be a homeowner, all those things. Yeah. Did the did the chief at the time know your background at that time? No. So he had no idea of the way that you grew up and no. like how that shaped you, but also how that served you in in relating to these people getting new houses but like no and and uh, what was interesting it was probably all the other staff okay. that that advocated on my behalf so uh, uh the uh, lady that was over purchasing at the time she ended up getting cancer which was my boss and they always joked that i was her secretary because i typed and filed and yeah. you know and and did all those things but then uh, she reported to the chief financial officer and the chief financial officer is the person that saw me that day and said you're not leaving us and she's the one that yeah. went and spoke to the chief and said we need to keep this young man but I, I, I would like to think that I had a good work ethic mm -hmm. a positive attitude a willingness to learn you know all the, again those yeah. simple values yeah. that, that I would like to think that helped me stay with the tribe right especially during that time where you know that like i said there was 11 or so employees at that time right and now there's at 12,000 well 110, 110 sorry but, but yeah but like yeah but yeah we have over 12,000 and you're now. a new grad you recently graduated from university like that's you know when we look at people now you know putting you in that role at, you know if you look back i think i was 22 years old right like I don't really hear that very often now like now it's like you know you have to have experience and you got to do your thing and I wish we could go back to that, you know, you'll learn on the job. We trust you. We've got a great team around you. You can do this. Well, right? I, I harp on it um, even today that, you know, I, I don't oppose. I mean, I love people with college degrees, you know, whether it's a BA, bachelor's, master's, whatever it may be, doctorate. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're looking for a skill set. Yeah. You know, what is that skill ability to communicate or is it willingness to learn, whatever those things are. And I felt like back at that time, that's what people 
looked for. Uh, and, and we still do it today. It's just we weed out a lot of people because of degrees before we ever get to the actual personality traits that we're really looking for in this job, honor integrity those are the things that you're really looking for it's not that you're looking for a master's and somebody that will steal from you and i'm not saying people with masters do that but but my point being is back then i, I remember when i went there i was the youngest employee there matter of fact their their insurance policy went up because i went to work and i was second in charge there and the first person that i had to discipline was a lady that i would say was just like my mother she was a full-blood choctaw strong-willed determined i mean a lovely lady at the same time but just sometimes her delivery wasn't the best and I remember thinking oh I slept I didn't hardly sleep a wink that night because of thinking of how am I going to go in here and tell my mom you know that you need to improve you need to do better thank God she accepted it of course you know again same things as how would I want to be treated went in treated her with respect honor dignity talked about the facts not about her but just about the facts. And anyway, it worked out for me. And, and she um, she's passed now, uh, but she was one of my, my greatest friends and, and supporters at later on. Yeah. So so how long are you in the housing side of things before you move on into a different role? I was at housing from uh, 1989 to 1996, and then I went to, to health care. And at that time, we had a, a chief that had, had went astray and then chief Powell uh, became the chief at that time he asked me he always knew because my dad he knew that situation and he knew that I was in and out of hospitals and it's interesting when you're in and out of hospitals you know the ones that deliver good service and have good patient care and all those types of things yeah. so he always knew that I had that passion and so he asked me to uh, go to the hospital so I went there and um, and then uh, asked me to build the first ever tribal nation hospital yeah. in the United States. And so at the time, if you can imagine, I know people see the tribes now with casinos and everything else. That project was going to cost $28 million. Yeah. And uh, I went to the bank and actually had to get a loan. Um, you know, of course, thank God we never had to borrow that money to, to, to draw down on that line of credit because our, our travel plazas, we were in bingo at the time. Yeah. It started picking up and our tribe started doing better that we were able to pay for it. But uh, it was uh, for me, it was a um, challenge mm-hmm. that I, I love to challenge. I'm a, I like to say I'm a Tushka warrior. I, I, I love sports. so I'm a big time competitor. Okay. And uh, but I have from uh, like a uh, August, I think, of 97 to complete it by June of 99. You know, uh, 126,000 square foot facility, me not knowing that much about healthcare. So I'm struggling with, so how do I get the doctors on board with this? How do I get radiology? And of course, again, it goes back to simple, what do you think I did? I went and sat down with them yeah, and, said, and said, well, so how, do you, how, how should we build your radiology department? They started designing it and we we had to, I had to push, motivate, inspire, shove, you know, all those types of things. But we, we got it done in June of uh, 1999. Yeah. And 
that the, uh, the the push for that was Chief Powell was running for first time. He he fulfilled that the last term. This time he had to be elected, and people were saying they will never build a hospital. They just never will, and yeah. we were able to get it done. Yeah, especially to be the first one in the country. Yes, like that's that's a pretty big impact to have, you know, and you go back to what you said earlier, I think about just empowerment and empowering people and putting people in the right places and going to the doctors and saying, this is going to be the place you work at. How would you build it? You know, what do you want us to do for you so that we can complete this? And you can get a lot done when you ask people what they what they would like, right? Exactly. Instead of saying, no, I'm doing this. This is my way of the highway. Like, or I'm get it done. This. We yeah. have to get this done. By, right. It's just it's a matter of just simply sitting down and asking yeah. and respecting them. And, you know, and I always say that you think about, you know, the, the negative side of my life and the positive side. When I was, uh, and that's the reason why I keep saying I cannot separate things, and I apologize sometimes when I ramble. But um, whenever I was 16, again, you have to realize that me and my current wife is was dating. And um, so, you know, we um, uh, ended up, the coach wouldn't let me play basketball. I ended up with a knot that came up on my neck. is about an inch and a half. And so he said, you need to go to the doctor. So I go to our hospital that was located in Tallahanna. is that old hospital, go to the ER. Of course, he wouldn't let me uh, be seen because I needed a, a adult right. sign-off. So now, uh, what well, at the time later on became a mother-in-law, she comes over and she signs. Well, the doctor comes out and he said, well, you know, I hope you know this could be cancer. So at 16, I'm just like, okay, you know, well, yeah. I, I guess this is this is it. You know, this is it for me. Life's life's done, and you know, I guess need to accept it and move on. Yeah. And my mother-in-law said, you know, we're not accepting this, and so she paid for me to go to another doctor. I had mono, yeah. and believe it or not, my wife, girlfriend, Angie at the time did did not have, she'd never got mono, and I did not know this mono can be uh, uh, you know, most people know it as kissing disease, but you get it from stress, and wow. that's the reason why I had such a huge knot on my neck, yeah. and but anyway, so I go there, take some medication week, I'm, I'm great and so on but my point being is that really motivated me, the, the one of the, and that's the reason why I believe in in business management, but there's always a vision and a mission. And my vision was to become the best rural healthcare in America. And because I didn't want another 16 year old to have to go through and worry that they're going to die and have cancer, right. we deserve better than that. Our people deserve better than that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to not take that for an answer, right? To be like, mm -hmm. oh, we're, we're going to go get another answer here. Like, mm -hmm. this is, you know, for something as serious as that, I mean, it doesn't have to be serious, but just that we should go and get multiple answers in anything that we do is, is exactly. a smart thing to do, right? But sadly, there are people who get those answers from authoritation or authoritative figures. I'm terrible with words, you know, and they take that as. That's this is it. That's my diagnosis. Then you know, and and that could have spiraled, and who knows what could have happened. Right? And and that's the other part that I would encourage people is to be that disruptor. Yeah. You know, don't don't accept the status quo. Mm -hmm. And and my wife always tells me, and she jokes about that. Uh, I tell her I'm a tushka. She says I'm hard headed. But but you know the the point being is that don't just accept the answer. She always says. You always ask why all the time. And it's just, I don't know, maybe it's because of my background, but there's you can always do it better. You can always do it quicker. You And I know that's that competitive nature in yeah. me too. But, but I think it is important because we do have a tendency to accept 
things because that's the way it's always been done. Right. They are authoritative figures, so you better not ask that question. No, you better stand up again. Yeah. Better stand on your own two feet and find out for real, so that you don't make a bad decision. Right. Yeah. So, so you have a you know this this facility is built. You have a successful you know project. You're done. Are you on to the what is the next project then? Because obviously you're doing this. You're in this role for quite a time, quite a period of time, right? Yes. From 2007 to 2014. Yeah. During that time, my you know again to create the best rural healthcare in America, I wanted to have a facility within in rural America yeah. is you have to be at least within 30 minutes of a clinic or something. So okay. we started building clinics, clinics because access to care was the number one problem that I had. So we built a clinic in Idabel, one in Stigler. We also, uh, I believe in a public health approach. So it's not just primary care. So we built a, um, a new uh, recovery center, which is for people with alcohol and substance abuse. We built uh, Chihola Lee, which means I love you in Choctaw for mothers and children that have alcohol and substance abuse problems. We built McAllister Clinic. We built um, a diabetes wellness center. We So anyway, was able to do all of those things yeah. um, in regards to healthcare, And then, like I said, in 2014, became the assistant chief. And then again, Chief Powell at that time uh, asked me to develop kind of the first economic development plan for the, the Choctaw Nation. And uh, at that time, I, I was trying to remember the exact amount of money that we had within the it was in the millions, but it was not great. Uh, I know millions are great, don't get me wrong, but in regards to the so amount of tribal members and everything, everything yeah. running a mm-hmm. full tribe. And so we built a, um, a casino in uh, Durant, one in Grant, one in McAllister, and one in Stringtown. That was a $375 million economic development plan, which paid for itself in less than five years and really got us even more seed money to then grow and deliver more services to our tribal members. And yeah. and so uh, we also um, developed a veterans advocacy program during that uh, time. I was trying to think we, we expanded, uh, we started doing loans through our housing uh, program. Uh, we started providing uh, all kinds of different care. You, uh, you probably have made, if you've read, you know, from ortho to ear, nose and throat, not just on that side, but we started what's called emergency services program. There was just a lot of different things that we couldn't do in the past because we just didn't have the money. We were, and just to give everybody a little bit of history because of our treaty that we signed, the Treaty of Dancing Rabbit Creek in 1830, which is still alive today. I want to make sure everybody understands that. That's been proven by McGirt and Castro Huerta, if you're aware of those cases. But that... um, those with those treaties still being alive today, they were supposed to provide health care, educations, and social programs. Well, the federal government provides about this much of that. Right. And so, same thing. Who is it? Am I, can I sit around and wait for the federal government to fulfill that? Yeah. No. Or can we step up? Like I said, it makes me go back to when I was 14. Who's going to step? We have to step up. Yeah. We got to step up. We got to create more jobs. We got to provide more services. And that's what we were able to do. Yeah. And and by doing this and growing this, you know, obviously you built a great relationship with Chief Pyle and, you know, eventually you, you end up taking over, right? Yes. Like, yes. And Chief Pyle retired, yeah. actually stepped down in 1965. And so I fulfilled a year of his unexpired term. And yeah. then I ran in, in 2014. And then um, just, like I said, I've just been blessed. The, yeah. the um 
you know, to even be inducted in the Hall of Fame. I, you know, people want to give put a lot of this credit to me, but it's really the credit of my team. I always yeah. say that I've just been blessed to understand, going back to what you said, of putting the right people in the right seats. And sometimes, yes, have I made some, maybe some misguided steps, but the, having the pe- right people in the right seat Man, they just flourish. They do great. And, you know, all you have to do as a, I like to think, um, again, because I love sports, you just have to be kind of that coach and say, we can do it. You know, And they'll come up with all the ideas. They will. So we have grown, you know, to a multi-million dollar organization as a tribe. Uh, we've been able to put money back in what we call a sustainability fund. My goal is to have uh, a Harvard endowment model. And so uh, if we can achieve it, I think the last number that date that I have was 2032. If we can continue on, we'll have an endowment model, which means the tribe won't ever have to worry about being in gaming. If something happens with gaming or anything else, we will be able to sustain our tribe the way that we should. We'll never lose our language. We'll never lose our culture. That's my goal for the future. Yeah, it's I mean, it's exciting, right? And and going through this, the, you know, the, this the journeys and the times in your life where you know you have uncertainty, and then you kind of, like I said, you, you accept Christ, you find your your calling, you know, you find a job, and and you think. I'm going to go find another job because this is, you know, and you have this time, right? And you probably didn't think I'm going to be chief one day, right? That probably never crossed your mind. Never crossed my mind. But you have these things along the way that, you know, by, by hard work and doing the right thing and in the roles that you've had too, it's all about helping people, right? Which is the signs of a great leader. And, you know, you're helping people, you're, you're empowering people and you're, and you're giving people an opportunity and giving them basic things, right, to, to, to survive, but then empowering them to kind of follow their dreams and do, you know, taking care of the basic things first, right? Housing, healthcare. Education. Because, yeah, education. So they don't have to worry about that stuff mm-hmm. so that they can pursue, you know, a passion and a dream that they want to go do. Well, and I, I think there's, again, going back to this medallion that I wear in full circle, I, I think there's got to be a balance yeah. with that. You've got to have something that motivates and inspires you. You don't want to provide, it's just like, and I'm not saying I want to treat our tribal members like my children, but I want our my children to be hardworking, yeah. ethical, honorable, all those things, trustworthy. And, and But you have to let them develop those things. If I would just give them everything, they may not develop those. So they have to have their own struggles a little bit. And so that's it's a critical and a lot balance for our people to have to go through anybody. You know, I'm just saying not just our people, but anybody to go through those critical experiences. I call them. I had a critical experience just to to grow from that and to learn from that. And then you will appreciate some, a simple value of trust. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if it's something like trust or honor, you will start going, hey, that yeah. person has it because you saw when you didn't have it. Right. Yeah. And, and one of the things, I mean, going back, what you mentioned also is, um, you know, you, you were inducted into the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. And I think the sad thing is that you're inducted during COVID, <laughs> which you didn't really get to enjoy <laughs> the night. <laughs> But the question I want to ask you is, because you emceed last year's with mm-hmm. Governor Anatoby, which yes. I'm, I, you, I was there, you guys had a blast on stage. Uh, I never thought I'd see Governor Anatoby be an MC, which, yeah, we talk, we joked about that as well, because you guys are totally different in that way, right? You're very outgoing, and I can totally see you on stage, whereas he's more reserved. But the two questions I want, want to ask you is, 
what was the time, when, when did you find out you were going to be inducted? And then the second question to follow up is how much fun did you have actually in that room on the day being the MC? Oh, well, I, th- you mean being inducted into the Hall of Fame yeah, was the so first question? Yeah, first question, yeah. I, I, was, I was trying to remember, Shannon, uh, or I think Shannon had called me, and of course, you know, it was, if I remember right, I was at home because everything was right. locked down at the time, and, you know, I just, I remember after she you know, of course, I'm just like, thank you so much, Shannon. That's such an honor, you know, and all those things. And then when I finish, you know, you, you think, hmm, what have I really done, you know, to, to get into the Oklahoma Hall <laughs> yeah. of Fame? You know, is you I, I guess, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing, but you don't always see these people up here and I see myself down here. And so I didn't see myself as a Hall of Fame recipient because it's just you do what you do. You know, you don't do it because of getting inducted to the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. But but it was a it was truly an honor. And I think, am I really at the scale of these leaders that I have? Governor Anatoby, Mike Burge, Chief Pyle, all these people have been inducted. Reggie Whitten that I was just uh, talking about earlier, just saying, these are wonderful people that's had a huge impact on my life and, and other people's life. And I'm just going, hmm. you know, I don't, I don't know that I see that. Yeah. And but, but again, it, it was very heartfelt, though. I mean, I and so I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, getting to, to be on stage with Governor Anatoby, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And the reason why I thoroughly enjoyed it is because I feel like I am a little small town guy from Clayton, Oklahoma. So I get to represent rural Oklahoma. I get to represent the Choctaw people. Um, and, you know, also Native America. And to, to understand and feel that Oklahoma maybe does appreciate, yeah. you know, Native Americans and their contributions that they made to the state of Oklahoma. And so, yes, for me, Blake Shelton was there that night, you know what I mean? And so on to, to, uh, to be on stage with people like that, I mean, uh, it, it was exciting just to see a superstar as right. Blake Shelton, and I've got to, to know him a little bit. But for me, it was really just important to, to know that uh, that one was probably uh, more excited than when I actually received the Hall of Fame award. And the reason why, again, is just because I felt like I got to represent Gary Batten. Not that the other one wasn't, but it was more about building a hospital, which, again, I'm very proud of, building casinos, all those types of things. But this was just who Gary was. It wasn't Chief Batten. It was, yes, it was Chief Batten. Don't get me wrong. I'm one of the same. But it was Gary Batten that got to be on stage representing who he was. And so, I, anyway, I loved it. I, I love, uh, of course, me and Governor Anatoby, we get to joke and we get to carry on. And a lot of people say that, uh, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I get to pull a little bit of that sense of humor yeah. out of him. And, uh-huh. and we, of course, we joke with each other and jab at one another. And uh, because for the most part, yeah. he's a pretty serious businessman. <laughs> yeah, he, well, he, yeah, he is. And that's kind of like the, the perception that people have of him, right? When, when you meet him, he, he's very quiet and, and he's obviously, you know, done a great job. And I know you guys have a great working relationship, but you probably don't get to cut up as often like you did, mm-hmm. you know, last year at the Hall of Fame on stage and joke around and j- take public jabs at each other, right? Yes. And make a, you know, because it was, it was a lot of fun. I really, I mean, I was cracking jokes and having a good time and laughing. It was 
Really enjoyed it. You know, and what's interesting is I, I get to do that with him off stage or on stage. And so that's the reason why I've always appreciated uh, Governor to, to let me be me. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, because he could say, hey, young man, that's that's you don't need to be doing that. And but he's always just, you know, joked and just made a jab back at me, which I, I love. Yeah, he, he uh, I, I, I asked, I sent him an email and said that we were sitting down together and asked, um, you know, is there anything that, that I need to, to know, anything I need to talk about? Uh, and he, he did reply glowingly, which I'll show you after we, we, we finish recording. You can read his response. But he said he has a lot of respect for you. And, and he said... Um, while we don't we don't always agree, our working relationship has been consistently good, and I believe him to be a great leader of the Choctaw Nation. So yeah. I'll show you the rest of it because okay. I don't want to bore you with and the people listening with his whole, entire paragraph because he did send a paragraph back <laughs> about your relationship and how you guys work together. Um, but that's exciting to have that relationship with you and all the other tribal leaders, mm-hmm. right? You've got to have that unity and come together. And yeah, you're going to have your differences. Who doesn't have their differences, right? But but you know when it comes to you know just standing up for yourselves and, and doing it. As a, as a unity and coming together like that's important but but that's I mean I think about tribes and we say sovereignty and state is yeah. a sovereign state and but even you Mike you're a sovereign person I'm a sovereign person just because we disagree doesn't mean that we don't fit under right. this umbrella of, of still finding things that we can work together on and and uh, and I don't this is probably a political statement that's the reason why I think we have so much voter fatigue mm-hmm. I know for for me, I have such voter fatigue of I'm sick and tired of hearing that's a Republican issue, that's a Democrat yeah. issue. I'd like to say, how about this be an Oklahoma issue for yeah. once? How about this be a people issue for once? And so, um, so I say that because I, I mean, I do think that we're losing that. Um, I, I think we're losing the, the issue of respect for one another. You know, I, I keep saying, sure, I appreciate everybody's uniqueness. You know, in this day of uh, inclusivity and all those things, I think, why is that? Because the reality is we should appreciate everybody for who they are and because we can easily find those differences and separate us. But we're all Americans. We're, we're Oklahomans here. And my goodness, I would like to think that we could come together. And, and so, you know, I say that, but, and, and, and if you don't mind me, I would like to encourage everybody. Yeah. You know, we've got critical elections coming up in November. Get out and vote. I mean, 28% of the population voted last time. Yeah. I, you know, our, I think about our veterans. You know, I, I, you know I, I know I get passionate about this, but we had cold talkers that used our language to end World War One. We've had people that has fought for this country like crazy, and they've given up their lives. Yet we won't go vote just because they gave they gave us the honor of allowing us to vote, and we won't even take that responsibility to go vote. And I know that's me. I get yeah. passionate about it, but everybody, please step up for your veteran. Step up for Oklahoma. Go out and vote. You, you know, even if you don't do it that way, do it because what they always the negative side of us say you have no right to gripe if you yeah. if you if you don't go vote. But whatever motivates you to get to vote, just get educated. I don't even care who you go vote for. Right. Go vote. Be involved. Yeah, yeah it's it, sadly that's that. You know, I mean, that the numbers speak for themselves, right? Twenty eight percent. It's it's you know the, the the generations that have come, you know aren't speaking to those World War veterans. They don't have a family member who fought in World War II or in Vietnam or all these other... So there's, there's that separation, right? So you got to figure out, you know, why do you, you want to vote? What do you want to vote for? Well, and also I think the sad thing is that people think, oh, my vote's not going to count. But then 
that word spreads around and you have, like I said, you have maybe 20, 25 of your friends that all think the same thing. Well, collectively, that's that's 25 votes, right? Which, exactly. You know, we had a, an election in um, for state representative in, in the Durant area, Bryan County area. 67 votes decided that. Yeah. If there would have been 30 percent of the population voted, that could have could have changed. And I'm not saying for bad or it's one busload, but, right? but yes, exactly. I mean, if it, and and to me, you know, I just think about um, you know all the issues that's yeah. facing us here in America today. That if if we don't get involved, in, and what's even worse is they claim that the further you get away from history, uh-huh. the more things are forgotten. So. You know, I wasn't in World War One. I. I wasn't in World War Two. I wasn't in Korea War. But you know, I I was young when Vietnam War was going on. But my point being is, they said the people attended church more and people voted more after nine eleven. And it's kind of sad that we're going to need a disaster, a disaster in America, yeah. and then people will say. We better step up and do something. Right. Let's be proactive. Let's yeah. change it now rather than waiting until something bad happens. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's and it's like that. You know, if if you use that sentence and you make people proactive, and it, the sad thing is when you put politics in the mix, people automatically say, "No, nah, I don't want to be involved with that." Right? But if you were to say, "Hey, if we all come together and we vote on this, we can change something that's going to happen in our, in our town," then they're all in, right? But the second you mention the word politics, it, it's just got that bad kind of connotation or bad kind of stigma around it, right? But it's well, just educating people. Well, it is educating people, and it is a responsibility of us. Sure. As I, I hate calling myself a politician, but I am elected. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I say that is because if you have relationships with people and friendships with people it doesn't become political political in my opinion is when i go mike you do this for me man i'll do that for you that's really that's bad but if i'm just going mike hey man i'll help you out anytime you're going to help me out when i need it that's just being good neighbors that's being good friends and that's the way it should be but we've gotten far away from that (laughs) yeah Uh, but i mean to that point of of helping people and being there and, and being present with people i asked before we did this podcast i asked a few people you know kind of what did I talk to you about and, and, and just how do you see you know Chief Batten and stuff like that and, and one of the quotes comes back is that you're the people's chief meaning that you're always out in the community and you're always you're not always dressed in a suit in your you know in your presenting front right, right. you're in shorts and t-shirts shaking hands so I can't imagine how tough COVID must have been for you, right? <laughs> Saying I can't really do anything. I have to stay locked down. We've got to stay locked down to come on this side of it. And, you know, this last year must have been the happiest year of your life because you're just like, <laughs> sorry to your wife. You're out all the time saying, you know, being at every engagement and having a good time and, and shaking people's hands and being in front of people. Well, I, you know, I guess I've going back to the balance thing in life, you know, when COVID hit, it was really a, uh, I, I've, I'm high charge, as you can probably tell. But at the same time, I know that you have to disconnect at times. And that was a great connect, disconnect time. I, I got to go fishing with my grandson so many times. I got to, We got to eat dinner together, my wife and, and us at home, you know. So all of those, so I cherish those things. You know, did I miss getting out and seeing our people at the same time? Yes, did I accept Zoom and, and you know, um, WebEx and all those types of things? Yes, I do. And, and do I think they're a wonderful tool? Yes. But, 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 uh, but no, I, I, matter of fact, I block time once a month it just yeah. automatically to go out and be with the community because those are the people that I represent and 
the worst thing I think you can do as a chief or as any leader is become disconnected with yeah. who you represent. So it's it's important. Yeah, it, you're right. It's I mean, regardless if you're in an elected position or not, just being in front of people and and being out there and, and meeting and putting you know even if it's just going and watching a football game together, right? Like you mentioned, you love sports. Mm-hmm. I assume you're an OU fan, which oh, isn't good def- right now. No, I, I, <laughs> but, I, I still am an OU yeah. fan at this point in time. Uh, you know, but the, just just having those occasions, right, that, that kind of bring us together, whether it's sports, local football teams or baseball, basketball, whatever it is, you know, that 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 kind of brings you together and win or lose, you know, you still have a good time, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's There's something special about that. Well, I've always said, you know, when you think of the Olympics, mm-hmm. when you think of things like that, Music and sports usually always bring people together from all. Matter of fact, last night we had a what's called the Global Citizen of the Year Award uh, with the Happy World Foundation. And we had people from Guatemala. We had people from Mexico, if I remember right. We had we had all different types of dances that were being performed as well as we did some of our traditional Choctaw dances. And it was so beautiful to see all these cultures on display and and but at the same time you know united for a good cause and so anyway there's no to me that that's what i love right yeah uh finishing up i mean obviously ou football is a passion of yours uh depending on i mean it doesn't matter how good they are yeah. like football's a passion uh where where does that ou passion come from why was it ou and not OSU or somewhere else? I, you know, it's just uh, growing up as a kid, my, my grandfather, my yeah. family, it's just automatic. You know, they're, they're OU fans. I think I'd be kicked out of my family if I, and you know, and so you just grow up with that passion that yeah. OU is, it, again, it's about what they stand for. It's it, the, that OU magic's going to come through at the end. You know, they're going to fight hard. They're going to, you know, try to be their best. That's the reason why yeah. my whole family was OU fans. It's, again, you'll have good seasons. You'll have bad seasons. You'll have, just like now, we're having ups and downs. But I hope that our culture of who we are as OU never changes. Yeah, definitely. All right, last few questions. Something that's a little quick fire, that's a little different to, you know, just, just to finish up, so people get to really know you. Sure. What is your favorite movie? Favorite movie, Forrest Gump. Really? Yes. Why is that? I just love the historical nature. Of course, as you could tell, you know, Forrest Gump grew yeah. up. He was disabled, you know, all those types mm-hmm. of things. Even though he, it, some of it, is it luck that he got where it was? Is it by, you know, was it just a blessing of God that he got where he was? The people that impact, you know, I guess I can kind of relate it to my life, but it's such a historical good story. Uh, from that pers- he had trials tribulations I, I love more realistic movies yeah. and so even though that one had probably some unrealistic parts but it was about his life and his journey of those ups and downs and yet he was still able to, to even stay positive during all those times yeah uh, what is your favorite song favorite song or do you oh. have a favorite song at the moment can you narrow that down to genre? That's because it's a... What, what do you listen to when... What's the first, kind of... What, what genre of music do you like to listen to? Oh, my God. Now I'm going to sound like I'm schizophrenic. <laughs> so I love... I think of Metallica. You know, I, yeah. think, I think of gospel music that I love. I, I like country music. I like some classical music. I mean, you, pop. You know, I mean, I just... I love all of it. It just depends. But... Um, 
I don't know, man. There is so many songs that comes to Very my head. That, that is, uh, again, if you would have to say um, country music, um, goodness, I think of uh, Travis Tripp, because he's kind of the blues and all those types of things. Uh, he sings Long-Haired Country Boy, yeah. I think is one of my, my favorite songs. Like I said, uh, when I do think of like harder core, I think of Errol Smith, mm-hmm. Walk This Way. Um, but then I think of Def Leppard, and I think of different ones, because I was an 80s, yeah, yeah, yeah. 80s kid. Um, Has uh, there been anyone that's been that's come to, to the nation to perform at any of the casinos, any of the locations you guys have, that you're like, wow, this I never thought this would happen? Uh, when Travis Tritt came, he, he, I haven't, he signed my guitar because I played the guitar. And so that was, that was a, a big thing. And, and again, the reason why I think I like Travis Tritt, he's never had a number one hit, per se. He's had, like... I don't know, 30 or whatever, you know, great songs, but he's still from Georgia, just a good old humble country boy. Mm-hmm. And he's, but I just love that about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's, but his heart, you know, those, the songs that he sings are just so heartfelt. Yeah. Do you have a favorite restaurant or a go-to meal? Wow. Favorite restaurant? I don't have a favorite restaurant, probably. Probably my go-to meal. This is probably sounds weird, but um, it, it's my favorite because it just reminds me of family and things makes me think of Thanksgiving. Is we always have deer meat, mm-hmm. we have beans, we have fried potatoes, we have usually homemade biscuits with all of that, and so that's probably my favorite meal just because of the the time of season. And it's always a family gathering. That sounds so good right now. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh, what do you kind of finish that off with? What dessert do you guys go for during finishing oh, the meal? My favorite is probably pecan pie. Pecan that pie. or cheesecake. Either okay. one of those two. I love those. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, probably, if neither one of those are available, I'm probably a little Debbie Swiss cake roll type of guy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good to know. You're gonna, you might have some of those on your doorstep. Okay. <laughs> some people listing might want to thank you for a few things with uh, with those cakes but um is there anything that you're googling right now that has your interest that just I don't know, that just, i'm googling yeah. oh man there's so much so many things that i google from uh people that i want to make sure that i understand and and know the issues mm-hmm. that um you know um Wow. I, I think uh, one of the things that I've been just because of the tribe. And so if, I don't mean to go into this too depth, but, you know, we've had this huge growth, this journey of growth for the last 20 years. And so I always think about, so what does the next 20 sure. years look like? And so I've been studying on disruptors and because the life cycle of any organization, mm-hmm. you know, it'll grow and then you will get to the peak and then you'll go through what they call the valley of death again, and then you'll start your next life cycle. And so I think we're getting close to the end of that, not meaning the sure. tribe ending, but just gaming. That cycle, yeah. Gaming is becoming where it's not uh, uh, such a monopoly. It's become more competitive and so on. You know, that who knows what Texas will do as far as gaming. Sure. And so anyway, so I, I just think about, so how do we go back and look at what we're good at how do we disrupt what we're doing yeah. and, and become really focused and, and do the things that we're really good at? So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's been a, a focus of, of mine is just really understanding 
uh, and uh, I try to look so I can only imagine that we're going to be 15,000 employees before long. We're going to be, you know, an $800 million a year company, organization, tribe. And so I always try to go find those people that's already done that. And so Google a lot of those different things. Um, I'm going up to another tribe here before long to to visit with them. And so I I do use Google, but it's only to find those resources, but I'm still more of a face-to-face. I'd rather go see what, Mm -hmm. how they actually did it. Yeah. Do you have a, a guilty pleasure or something you're slightly embarrassed about Admitting that you just that that's your go-to, you like to, you know, keeps you up at night and anything that stands wow. out. Probably, probably just Netflix, just in general. I mean, <laughs> what I'm are you just watching saying, right now? Well, the, the, I, as you heard, I'm a I'm a fan of real life, so I watched Nolan Ryan's story okay. the the other night. I did watch the Jeffrey Dahmer yeah. story the other night, which is, is kind of freakish and kind of weird and kind of interesting. And I tell everybody that was almost like a train wreck and, and I just, but I couldn't quit watching the train wreck. And, yeah, yeah. and so that's probably, uh, I get on those, uh, stupid, uh, things like Cobra Kai yeah. and, and it's like, up at midnight watching it and I'm like why am I up at midnight watching this is so cheesy yeah. you know but I keep watching it so you know, you know yeah. so anyway I guess that would that would probably uh, be it is there anything um, that comes to mind when I when people ask you if you weren't doing what you do now what would you be doing well, I, I would probably be working for a nonprofit yeah. uh, somewhere that is purpose-driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could work for a, a, a for-profit company as long as they were purpose-driven. Yeah. I serve on a couple boards, and well, the two boards that I serve on, both of them are very purpose-driven. It's not mm-hmm. a financially driven, and so I, I could work for some places uh, like that, that, or I would be in the mission field probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, looking back at, at, the, at the life that you have up until now, is there anything that stands out as, as a, like, that was my best life moment? And it doesn't have to be best, but it's just a moment that was really stands out for you. Mm, well, of course, you know, I, I think about the, I don't mean this in, again, just simple way, is, yeah. but but when Angie and I got married mm-hmm. was, was a very critical time. And, and probably even more so when we were dating, you know, that she would yeah. stick through me through all those bad times that I was was going through. So so marriage, you know, uh, adopted both of my children. So Stacy, we went and uh, picked her up at a convenience store. My son, I went and picked up at a Walmart. Not, and it was it, it was legit. Um, you know, what I mean, just even though I say that, <laughs> right? But, but it's because that's where it, we had done all the central paperwork and everything. Yeah. yeah. But it was just a, a central meeting point, yeah. and so um, so I, I I think about that. Um, you know, of course, the, like I said, the day that I got saved was the, the pivotal point in my, my the happiest day of my life. And so, um, you know, and as you get older, I think just the, the simple days of just getting to sit with family and just, you know, not really have pressures of doing anything. Those days are, are really special as I get older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And finally, I know we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but something fun uh what is your dream car? What would you have if you just if someone could, you could snap your fingers and it would be there tomorrow? Which one would you have that you would just drive till the wheels fell off? Wow! Again, that's so tough. First thing that comes to mind is 1968 Dodge Charger. Okay. And the reason why I say that is my cousin had a 1968 Dodge Charger and. 
we were racing another me and my cousin were racing another uh, two guys he had a 68 Camaro and uh, of course we we smoked them and um, but whenever we were racing on top of a Sardis dam it's a dam and scares me to death now that I think about it but when I went past that dam there was people there and I was going to probably about 110 and they started backing out and I had to slam on my brakes and people were walking and Oh, but but anyway, it, it was the '68 Charger though was, and it wasn't mine. It was a cousin's that I he actually just let me drive it, and so but yeah, it was just unbelievable to feel that yeah. speed and 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 plus it's sleek. It's kind of a bigger car, as you probably know. But but yeah, I'd, I'd love to have one of those. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I can't thank you enough for, for coming up early. Uh, you know, I know you're going to speak to the Second Century Board this, this evening, and I really appreciate you coming up early to spend an hour to, to tell some stories. Um, people get to know the real you. They get to see that. And, and I don't doubt that they already know the real you because obviously, you know, you share and you're out in, out in the community a lot. Um, but it means a lot that you come up here and share some stories and, and talk about the impact and, and the life that you have and, and everything that shaped you because it makes so much sense now what you do and, and what makes you tick and the way you you know you, you empower people the way that um, you know you 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 going from through the housing you know in that and having that impact and, and now to you know being chief and and it's. Uh, it all makes sense, right? When you explain it for an hour, right? Well, but when people get to shake your hand and probably have a five or 10 minute interaction with you, they probably won't get it. So I love, this is the reason I love doing this because we get to share people's stories, you know, at depth and hear it from, from them. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, and for people listening, uh, we will catch you next episode. Cheers. Yako Key, which is thank you. I, ha- okay. I say that again? Yako Key. Y-A-K-O-K-E. But the E is an E. Yako Yakoki. Very good. Right. Chukma, that means good. All right. Yakoki and Chukma. I'm learning. That's amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank awesome. you. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at Oklahoma HOF. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor. They do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma and without their support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And finally, our third sponsor for today, the Oklahoma 988 Mental Health Lifeline. 988 is the direct three-digit lifeline that connects you with the trained behavioral health professionals that can get all Oklahomans the help that they need. Learn more by visiting 988oklahoma.com. It's 988oklahoma.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.